So we are very lucky, very beautiful weather. I hope you enjoy the peace and the support of this beautiful environment here. I just saw some deer coming down the hill, very, very idyllic, really. Because in daily life, our experience is often very different. And one way, you know, of describing that is called in the Buddha's um, teaching the eight worldly winds or the eight worldly conditions or in the Pali language, the Loka Dhamma. And I'm sure, you know, all of you have made experience with those eight worldly winds on a daily basis since... Yeah, since you were a child, really. And I'm just going to go through the list so you can uh, have an idea what what is meant by them. Praise and blame. Gain and loss. Pleasure and pain. And fame and disrepute. So that's, you know, these four pairs of opposites. And we, with our thinking minds, we think in dualistic patterns. So, you know, there is no gain without loss. There is no praise without blame. There is no fame without disrepute. This is how we experience the world when we are, you know, in the thinking mind and when we are not, you know, resting in awareness. Then we tend to kind of identify with the feelings and the thoughts and the sensations and so on, which are triggered, you know, when one of those lokadamas or worldly winds, you know, starts to blow in our direction, then we get set off normally. And, you know, if we don't have a, a practice, we tend to completely identify with either, you know, with the elation of praise or gain or pleasure or with the, you know, the sadness, the despair, the fear, which we can experience if the opposite comes our way. And, you know, that's just how it is for someone, you know, who isn't awakened, who isn't, you know, conscious of, of what, you know, sets off different patterns of, of emotions and thinking. And, you know, the Buddha said that if we can be aware, if we can stay conscious when those winds are blowing at us, then actually, you know, we can use those challenges as a, as a learning ground. And it is actually a very good basis for growing in truth, you know, for growing in Dhamma. And before, you know, we have been inviting the benevolent forces of the universe to bear witness to this gathering here. And some of those benevolent beings, you know, they are considered to be heavenly beings. And in the Buddhist cosmology, there's 26 different levels of, of heavenly beings. And what is special about those um, heavens is that they, they don't experience those worldly winds very much, and the more you know the heavens go up, the less those winds are blowing there. Because whatever you know, beings in those realms, whatever they wish for, spontaneously appears for them. 
If they want something to eat, something nice, it's there. If they think of some beautiful clothes, it's there. And in the higher in the higher levels of those heavens, they even don't have any bodies anymore. So they don't experience those eight worldly means, and because they don't experience them, there's no food for growth in the Dhamma. So it's not considered, you know, a, a good opportunity for, for learning. And therefore, you know, Buddha was saying, you know, the human birth is the best learning ground for enlightenment. So we are all very, very fortunate, you know, meeting together in this realm and having those eight worldly winds, you know, blowing at us and setting us off in many different ways. Because if we have a teaching, we can learn from that. And then, you know, so above the human realm, the cosmology considers there are the different heavens which are so pleasant and so uneventful in some ways, you know, that there is not much learning happening or almost no learning because there's no incentive. And then underneath the human realm, there are the realms where there's great suffering. And those realms are also not good for learning because the suffering is too much. There's not enough respite. So there's no way that, that we can reflect on it. So this human realm has a very good mixture between pleasure and pain, loss and gain, praise and blame, fame and disrepute. So we have an opportunity to kind of catch our breath and become aware. And, you know, the meditation instructions which Ayananda Bodhi has just been giving is all about, you know, coming into that still space where we can actually be a witness to what is happening in our bodies and in our minds. And... If we can, you know, then meet these worldly winds from that space of awareness, then we still, you know, have to receive and experience all of the different things which are triggered, you know, in terms of thoughts and sensations and feelings and all of that. It's still all there, but we can, you know, see it in a bigger context. And that's really, you know, what the point is about the teaching of the Buddha. He wants to, you know, give us a bigger context for our experience so we can reflect on it. And through that reflecting on it, we are developing wisdom and compassion. And then we know, you know, we are not alone in this. All of us, you know, born in this human realm, we all share the same um, ingredients, you know, which... Uh, part of our experience and the eight worldly winds is one way of expressing those and they are the same for everybody and where we differ from each other is how we meet it and this is you know, where the opportunity for growth lies we can't manipulate our experience we can't you know, make certain things happen and not make other things happen we can't control, you know, what we are experiencing. But we can learn, you know, become ever more skillful in how we are meeting experience. And the teaching of the Buddha is all about that, you know, learning to become more skillful in how we meet our experience. And and that that learning happens through, 
you know, becoming aware about the way things are. That means, you know, we start where we are and, you know, observe our experience. And it's easier said than done. I, I know that for myself very well. But, you know, if we have um, a conducive environment and, and friends, you know, who are on the same path, it's, it's easier. And I guess that's why you have come here today. Because, you know, doing this together is, is very supportive. And then, you know, we, we carry it with us into our lives and integrate it in our lives. You know, coming from this bigger perspective and learning, you know, to rest in this vaster view more and more. That's really, you know, the, what the practice is all about. To kind of, first, you know, it's like a, you tip your toes into it and then kind of entering the territory more and more. And whenever, you know, there is a, a struggle going on in our lives, or some kind of a, of a clinging attachment, as soon as we notice it, it's like a wake-up call, you know, to step into awareness again and see it in a bigger context. And before, you know, when I was walking out there and suddenly you know, I heard some rustling and then I looked up and I saw this five or six deer standing up there. My mind stopped because it was so beautiful and it was so surprising. You know, and what I did notice is that as soon as the sinking mind stops, there's this opening. And I felt, you know, I felt very connected with everything around me. You know, with those deer and the beautiful hillside and the sunshine and the cars, everything. It was suddenly the experience, I didn't experience myself as separate in that moment. And that's, you know, this kind of a, deep connection with everything around us. I think this is, you know, what we are all yearning for. Because, because whenever, you know, we are in that space, we, we forget ourselves, so to say, you know. There is no me as a separate entity, you know, in a, in a hostile universe where I have to protect myself and where I have to hold on to the good things and push away the bad things and being completely kind of caught up and, and identified and, you know, projecting into the future my fears and looking into the past with my regrets and all of that. But as soon as, you know, we can be in awareness, then this wide view opens up for that moment. And then we feel, we feel really alive and we feel really there's nothing missing and then, you know, this is, you know, this is a taste of, you know, how we can, how we can live a life which is fulfilled by just being, you know, with what is happening in the, in the present moment. And then, you know, if we have a strong uh, refuge, you know, in, in, if we have a deeper understanding ab about how it is, you know, to return to awareness again and again, then those eight worldly winds, they have much less, you know, power over us. Because we can see them for what they are, you know, and we, we listen to the lessons they have to teach us, you know, we, because they do appear and there is some conventional truth to them, you know, it is 
a good feedback, you know, to hear present blame and fame and disrepute in one's life. There is some truth in it, but it's a conventional truth and it is not something, you know, which uh, we can hold on to and it's changing because, you know, what is, uh, you know, somebody is famous at one point and then a few years down the line, not any longer. Or a certain action, you know, is praised in one culture and not in another culture. A certain action is praised, you know, if you're a certain age, but if you do it when you're older, it's not. And so, you know, we can't really rely on it, but we can, you know, learn from it. You know, listen to it, what it has to tell us, and, and let it go. But it's not something, you know, we can hold on to and, uh, you know, kind of base our whole life on to getting more of the so-called positive side of those four pairs and not getting anything of the negative side. That is a life of great uh, unhappiness. You know, it becomes like a prison. But, you know, if we are learning from those pairs of opposite, then we can, you know, get to know very well, you know, how the human mind works. And also through that, you know, we have much more ability to meet other people in, with a lot of compassion because we know how our own mind works. So we can extrapolate from that onto how our other people's minds work. So it's a, it's a very rich field, you know, of, uh, of learning and, you know, as soon as we can, you know, see the opportunity in those experiences, then, you know, we meet life in, in a different way. And we can, you know, we can include everything into our practice. Nothing is outside of the practice. And then our, our life takes on like a different strength because you know, we don't have to anymore be so obsessed with trying to get what we want because we, you know, connecting with our true, you know, with our true work in, in, as a human being because it's all about, you know, getting to know how the mind works and liberating ourselves from uh, delusion, really. And using everything, what happens in our lives, as, as a food for the practice. There's nothing which ca- cannot be included. And, you know, and then by stopping in that way and, and seeing things in a big, bigger context, equanimity arises. And it's not, you know, something which we have to make happen. We don't have to create equanimity in our minds. It's rather that we lay it open by kind of pulling away those different veils of, of delusion which we have, uh, you know, gotten conditioned into through our, over our life, you know, with our parents, in the culture, in the workplace, the different messages, you know, we are receiving constantly from the culture. You know, a culture which is very much uh, a consumerist culture, which, you know, uses 
media to manipulate people into believing, you know, that they can buy happiness. And it, it needs a lot of, you know, um, conscious effort, you know, to not get uh, lulled in by, by these messages too much. And this is not easy to do because it's like swimming upstream, really. You know, when everything else goes downstream, we are swimming upstream because we want to come to the source. And this is it's not easy. But it can definitely be done, and many beings have done it before us, and the Buddha is one of those beings, you know, has left a very good manual in terms of the Buddha's teaching behind, which we can use, you know, and we can start by being where we are right now. So it's actually very, very simple, but it's not easy to do. And and the meditation instruction is is basically, you know, the main uh, technology, how we can bring the mind and the body into the present moment and start to see how they, you know, react to those worldly winds. Because we do have very strong bodily reactions as well, you know, like if we hear something we don't want to hear, we feel a contraction in the body. Or, you know, you might see it later on when we go to the, you know, when the food is all laid out at the table and you're standing in line and, you know, this anticipating pleasure, you know, how the body kind of is leaning into it. And there's nothing wrong about all of this. This is just how it is, you know, being a human being. But we can get to know it rather than being, uh, becoming a slave to it. So we can make the space around the experience bigger. And then we do have a choice. You know, we, we might feel that come, I want to push everybody out of the way because I want to be sure I get this one is not much on the plate anymore. And then, you, you know, a little child will do that. And that's kind of endearing, isn't it? But, you know, if I'm still doing it when I'm 50, I, I don't think it's very, it's very endearing, you know. And I might, st- I might still experience that, but I don't have to do it. You know, I have to, I can hold back and, and just learn from it. And through that holding back, actually strengthening the capacity, you know, to be aware. So those, those worldly winds, you know, the so-called negative four of those four pairs, they can become actually a friend in terms of waking up. And, you know, if we get too much of the good side, we can actually grow quite negligent, you know, and lose empathy for those who are not in that position. So they are not always, you know, like a good thing, actually, in terms of waking up and in terms of finding true happiness. And I'm sure you've heard about those stories, you know, about very famous people like, um, we just spoke about recently about Elvis Presley, isn't it? For example, who, who or Michael Jackson, you know, people who had everything in the world they could buy with money, but they were very, very deeply unfulfilled because they were so, you know, they had gotten so much of the positive for from these pairs 
they they completely lost touch with uh, with them with themselves because there was so much demand on them that they lost themselves and 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 they died in in very sad circumstances. So you know those things they all remind us it's not about getting the positive and and keeping out the negative, but it's about opening up and holding all of them in a much bigger picture, which is all about you know strengthening the ability to be with what is just now. Because you know it, what we experience in our life in terms of uh, thoughts and feelings, sensations—it's—it's it's actually it repeats itself the same thing over and over again. The triggers, you know, the stories of the triggers—they do change, of course. But what we are experiencing and what we often find very difficult, you know, to contain in awareness is always the same sensations, the same thoughts, you know, I'm this and I'm that and feeling, you know, unpleasant feeling or feeling, you know, being addicted to very pleasant sensations. That's always the same. But we tend to pay too much attention, you know, to the stories, and getting lost in the stories, and we so we don't develop the resilience, you know, to actually be with the thoughts, the feelings, and the sensations. So what we need to learn is, and what the Buddha instructed us to learn is to see the commonality in the experience. You know, don't focus on the special reasons why you got this or why you got that, and what this person said and that person said, but rather focusing on, you know, what we are experiencing within our own body and mind. The first feature which stands out is it's either something we call positive, negative, or neutral. And then immediately after that, if it's positive, we tend to want more of it, we cling to it in a way of you know, pulling it towards us. And if, it's, if we consider it a negative feeling then we have a tendency you know, to push it away and not wanting it. And this is the point, you know, to get to know that uh, knee-jerk reaction, really, and, and know you know, this is a human trait, this is completely normal. Animals have the same response. This is how it is if we are sentient beings. But we can actually you know, rise above that. And we can actually use these experiences to rise above it and develop, you know, the capacity to see what is happening and not being, you know, swept away by it. And so it doesn't mean that we do ignore it because they do appear, those worldly winds do appear and often you know, they are kind of can be very subtle and they can be also very, very powerful, very, very strong. So it's not to deny them or, you know, kind of ignore them because otherwise we wouldn't be able to learn. But it's more about, you know, not fixate on them and not trying, you know, to, to sort them out because we can't sort them out. But we can you know, gain clarity about the process and 
And then, you know, the first insight we have, oh, you know, they are all impermanent, actually. They have a beginning, they have a middle, and they have an end. I don't have to make them, you know, go away. And I can't prevent from certain things that they disappear, because this is the way things are. And if, you know, I want to have a life of more peace and clarity, then I can align myself with that fact. I can align myself with that truth, the truth of impermanence. And this freedom we do have. And we can use all of our experience, you know, for that, because this truth of impermanence, you know, reveals itself in every experience, in every feeling, in every thought, in every sound, in every touch, in every smell, everywhere we can bear witness to impermanence in that way. And then, you know, when we really get it, so to say, that this is really true, then a certain, you know, a certain freedom arises. Because, you know, we, we know we, it's not up to us to kind of manipulate and have only good experiences, but that you know, we can learn to step back from that identification and see it for what it is and meet it with, with, with compassion and you know, meet it with loving kindness because this is just the way things are. And through that, you know, we feel uh, more connected also to other people because they just have the same experiences as we have. And, you know, through that uh, connecting with the way things are, we develop a greater capacity, you know, for sensitivity towards ourselves and towards others and towards, you know, everything really, nature itself. Nature is also a very good teacher in terms of impermanence. You know, in the, in the winter time or in the early spring, every, all the meadows and the hills around here, they are green. And then... You know, over the months they change and now they are completely, you know, they are not, not golden anymore, even they are grey now. And I can't imagine you know, how, they, how it's possible that they completely look completely different just in a few months again. So nature is a very good teacher for, you know, showing us impermanence in very, very big ways. And we are part of nature. We are not like on top of nature, you know, going, walking around on the planet and, and kind of trying to, having tried, you know, for thousands of years to dominate the planet and having landed up in a very difficult situation right now where we are now starting, you know, to work up as a, as a, as a human race, really, as a global family to the fact, you know, that we have been uh, pretty misinformed about the way things are. And we are now in a certain kind of, you know, in a certain momentum caught. And even, you know, more and more of us, you know, tend now to wake up to it. We have to, you know, receive the repercussions of this. And we have to prepare ourselves, you know, to develop the resilience to be with the repercussions and, you know, learn from them.
and, and change our ways. And it's a, a very tall order, I must admit. And there is very little clarity yet, you know, how, about how that can be done on the bigger level. But today, you know, we can pay attention to the personal level of this because this is where it all starts. Because if we don't understand, you know, how we are working as a body and as a mind, as a human being, how can we bring it, you know, into the community? How can we bring it into the wider field? It all starts with ourselves. You know, and it's not about... um, you know, necessarily being able to even succeed, you know, with our intentions. But what is important is, you know, that we are having a life where we where we feel, you know, to that we live according to our intentions. Then it really doesn't matter so much, you know, how the winds of fortune, you know, blow in our lives. Because if we meet them in the way which are expressing our deepest values, then we will, you know, we will gain a contentment and happiness just from that. Because this is, you know, where we really express ourselves is not in, in, you know, how much money we have, you know, or how much beautiful clothes we have or how many degrees we have or whatever, you know, you name it, all of those different things. But but how we are with what we have got, this is, you know, where we express our heart with that. And sometimes, you know, some people have a lot of the the riches and the pleasures and they are not very happy. Because, you know, happiness cannot be found in that. But happiness can be found, you know, if we are living a life which is expressing our deepest values. And and I remember, you know, when I was, well, when was that? Maybe like 25 years ago or so, when I met my first teacher, when I was still more ignorant and deluded than what I'm now. You know, when I was still trying to run after after things in the world more than I still run after certain things, but it has slowed down a little bit because it's just my energy has slowed down because I'm older. But I mean, you know, when I, I was like in my early uh, or late 20s, you know, and what struck me when I met my first teacher, he was a Thai monk in his 80s. And when I saw him for the first time, what struck me the most was the stillness, you know, he was exuding in his presence, but just sitting there. And I had a feeling, you know, whatever hits him, you know, in terms of worldly winds, he isn't moved by it. He was like a mountain. And I felt like, I want to be like this, you know. Because it was very clear to me, you know, it doesn't matter what you have, if you are like like in that kind of state of of realization, it doesn't matter, you know, what you have, because 
everything is included in the practice and there is no more picking and choosing. And I, f- I found that extremely attractive. And then it dawned on me, you know, when I, when I was running uh, all over the place, when I was younger and looking for fulfillment in doing this and doing that and being this and being that, I actually was always unconsciously looking for that, you know, for this, finding this place of um, this mountain-like presence, you know, this unshakability of the heart, how it's expressed in the teaching. And he got it. And then I just thought, I'm going to hang around a little bit and listen, you know, to what he has to say. And I'm still hanging around because I'm still, you know, not realized. But I have understood a few of the points. And and I have no doubt, you know, that this is something which everybody can uh, realize. We just need to persevere and we need to have the patience. You know, patient perseverance is really, you know, the essence of of a life of um, wisdom and compassion. Because if we have that patient perseverance, you know, to come back to where we are right now, we can't help but learning from it. And, you know, patient perseverance isn't something, you know, which is very much praised in the media. So we have to go very much against the stream, you know, because the media praising instant gratification and, you know, perseverance. Maybe like when you go to the gym and build up your muscles, then perseverance is maybe praised, you know. But there's always, it's always about gaining something in terms of material gains or image. And and the path, you know, the path of patient perseverance is all about shedding. It's all about letting go. And it's all about, you know, revealing that which is always already here, which is like awareness and and uh, spaciousness and equanimity with the way things are if we can, you know, tear away those veils of delusion and conditioning. And the meditation is, this, uh, is the technology for providing us the tools, you know, to tear away the veils and not kind of tearing them away in anger or in disgust, but tearing them away with awareness and learning from it, you know. How was it before that veil was still here and how is it now once it's gone? This is a great lesson. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.